It's Wednesday, August 7th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into why the U.S. is imposing more sanctions on Venezuela. We'll connect the dots on why Venezuela is calling this economic terrorism and what it could mean for the people who are struggling there. Then, President Trump visited with survivors of the mass shootings in Texas and Ohio. We'll tell you what the gun laws in those states look like. And finally, timing is everything. Just ask the next season of American Crime Story. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. The most complicated story of the day is about new U.S. sanctions on Venezuela. This week, the Trump administration took its latest step to isolate Venezuela's government. It's going after President Nicolas Maduro by imposing new sanctions aimed at causing his government to fall apart. Venezuelan representatives call this a total economic embargo and even economic terrorism. Whoa there. We're going to get into what the U.S. actually did to deny money to the Venezuelan government, whether the U.S. actions really amount to, quote, economic terrorism, and what we should expect next. First things first, those big moves from Washington. The U.S. is all about trying to remove Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro from office. In January, the U.S. declared Maduro an illegitimate leader who was plundering Venezuela's wealth and starving its citizens in the process. And the U.S. said Maduro's political opponent, Juan Guaido, was Venezuela's rightful president. Guaido leads Venezuela's democratically elected legislature. He's like Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell in his job title and AOC in his energy. He's a political newbie. He's young and popular with people who don't like the president. But despite Guaido's best efforts to topple the government, Maduro still runs the show. It's not like the U.S. hasn't tried to change that. Just this year, the U.S. has sanctioned Venezuela's state-run oil company, the main driver of Venezuela's economy, sanctioned Venezuela's state-run gold mining company, and sanctioned President Maduro's son, as well as a bunch of shipping companies and Venezuelan banks. The result of those sanctions is a mixed bag. Venezuela is struggling to find buyers for its oil. The economy is hurting. One recent survey found that 80% of Venezuelan households are food insecure, meaning they don't have reliable access to the food they need. The U.S. hoped a weak economy would prevent Maduro from paying off his supporters. But his inner circle has yet to abandon him. And the U.S. is getting antsy. Which brings us to this week's moves. On Monday, President Trump issued an executive order once again, targeting Venezuela. It said all property of the Venezuelan government in the U.S. was being frozen, immediately. It also said anyone who helped Venezuela's government, directly or indirectly, would be sanctioned too. Like we said, sanctions against Venezuela aren't new. But sanctioning anyone who helps or does business with the Venezuelan government is a major new step. For example, If an American does business with a Venezuelan state company, that American citizen can be sanctioned. The same goes for a European bank or a Middle Eastern oil company if they do business with the Venezuelan government. So Venezuela is going ballistic over this. Venezuela's UN ambassador, Samuel Moncada, condemned the sanctions on Tuesday. They are attacking Venezuela with economic measures, economic warfare, and more than economic warfare, economic terrorism. And he didn't stop there. He called the U.S. sanctions a total economic embargo. So what does that mean? 
An embargo is when one country bans all trade with another country and stops the free movement of goods. For example, the U.S. put a full trade embargo on Cuba in 1962, when President John F. Kennedy learned that the Soviet Union had deployed missiles on the island. That embargo is still in place, and the Cuban government still complains about that. Cuba says that decades-old blockade still hurts Cubans by cutting off food supplies, medicine, and other needed products. But is the U.S. really embargoing Venezuela? Not really. People and businesses can still do work with Venezuela's private sector. But in countries like Venezuela, where the government controls a lot of the economy, it can be hard to know which businesses have government ties. Better to just not go there. The Trump administration has tried this approach before. It's imposed similar sanctions on Iran and North Korea. The goal being, if you stop your business dealings because you're worried about getting on America's bad side, that's good enough. John Bolton is Trump's national security advisor. He was in Peru earlier this week. One way to summarize this to a business, for example, is do you want to do business in Venezuela or do you want to do business with the United States? We should note that even though some trade with Venezuela is still allowed and humanitarian aid can still be sent there, the new U.S. sanctions could scare away a lot of business. It could also scare away some of that humanitarian aid, which, like we said, is so desperately needed. So what's the skim? By imposing tough new sanctions on Venezuela, the U.S. hopes it can deny President Maduro the money he needs to maintain a loyal following and stay in power. But Maduro's government isn't just holding strong. It's using the sanctions as a rallying cry to unite Venezuelans against the U.S. and behind the president. A government statement condemning the U.S. sanctions described them as an imperialist attack. The U.S. says it only wants to hurt Venezuela's government, not its people. But it's not always that easy to thread the needle. Coming up, President Trump visited the sites of mass shootings in Ohio and Texas. We'll tell you what happened and how those states are coping next. Hiring isn't as simple as posting to a job board. When you're juggling it on top of everything else, it's important to reach the right candidates at the right time. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash skim this. Again, that's linkedin.com slash skim this to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. President Trump went on a big day trip today. He visited both Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas, the sites of two mass shootings over the weekend. 31 people died and dozens more were wounded. Trump told reporters before he got on the plane that he was going to pay his respects. He's meeting with survivors, victims' families, and first responders. It's a terrific uh, opportunity, really, to congratulate some of the, the police and law enforcement. The job they've done was incredible, really incredible. But the visits didn't exactly add up to a peaceful vigil. Trump was met by protesters in Dayton. Protesters were demanding action in El Paso, too. So let's talk about what's happening in these two states that Trump visited today, Ohio and Texas. In Ohio, Republican Governor Mike DeWine is proposing his state adopts a red flag gun law. 
These orders, which would be granted upon clear and convincing evidence, would allow the removal of firearms from potentially dangerous individuals and get them the mental health treatment that they need. Ohio's governor is in a bit of a tight spot. The state legislature is controlled by Republicans, has been for a few years, and it's passed a ton of pro-gun laws, including a law that prevents cities in Ohio from passing tougher restrictions on guns. So Ohio's governor has proposed this red flag gun law, as well as expanded background checks and stronger punishments for crimes that involve guns. But to get anything done, he'll have to get Ohio's Republican State House and Senate on board. And the governor's already dealing with critics who say those proposals go too far, as well as those who say they don't go far enough. Meanwhile, in Republican-led Texas, Trump's second stop today, you already don't need a license to openly carry a rifle or shotgun. And gun laws there are about to get looser. Starting next month, a bunch of NRA-backed bills will go into effect, making it even easier to carry guns in places like churches, schools, and foster homes. While Ohio's governor has proposed a bunch of gun control measures, Texas' governor hasn't. After the mass shooting this weekend, he said the state needs to address challenges in mental health care instead. But today, he said this. We need to also ensure that guns are not in the hands of deranged killers like the man who committed this heinous crime here in El Paso. Details on how that'll work are TBD. So you may have heard Dems in Congress talking about the I word lately, impeachment. Dems haven't actually started impeachment proceedings against President Trump. And it's been over two decades since Congress has done that, back during President Bill Clinton's sex scandal with then-White House intern Monica Lewinsky. In case you missed it, you're in luck. American Crime Story, the hit anthology series on FX, just announced its season three. It's called Impeachment, and one of its producers is Monica Lewinsky. The series is known for covering juicy, iconic stories of American history, From The People vs. O.J. Simpson to The Assassination of Gianni Versace, the series has garnered a lot of critical acclaim and racked up a bunch of awards. For the new season, Sarah Paulson, who won an Emmy for her role in The People vs. O.J., will be joining the cast to play Linda Tripp, another key figure in the Clinton scandal. And actress Beanie Feldstein, who you might remember as the lead in the movie Booksmart, will be playing Lewinsky. The new season premieres on September 27, 2020 just five weeks before Americans head to the polls to cast their votes in the presidential election. Interesting timing. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from The Throne. Toilet paper is getting a makeover, an eco-makeover. Researchers say toilet paper isn't exactly great for the environment. Globally, we're flushing around 27,000 trees a day down the drain, plus all the water, chemicals, and energy needed to make the paper in the first place. So startups are coming up with environmentally friendly toilet paper, with fun names like Who Gives a Crap and Number Two and Cheeky Monkey. 
They want to make toilet paper without trees, and with bamboo instead, the fastest growing plant in the world. But it's not cheap. Prepare to shell out over a dollar per roll. That could be a real bummer. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.